Good morning. We're going to get uh, this show on the road. I know we'll still have people trickling in from the keynote and trying to move four floors to get down here to this room. So really excited to uh, share some of this incredible work that's happening um, in the area where I work. So my name is Aaron Maurer. I work for Mississippi Bend AEA as a STEM lead. We do a lot of stuff with STEM and computer science, but part of that passion of mine is how do we create authentic learning experience for students? And there's a lot of great things happening at the high school levels in terms of all the opportunities for that. What's that look like in this K spectrum? So today, um, kind of quickly here, you can see the agenda. You got a little card that will take you to this website, which has a ton of resources and examples and stuff we're talking about today. Um, but we also have one of the, the principals from one of the buildings we've been piloting a lot of this work with, Chris Welch. We'll let him uh, take over here in just a second. But we want to highlight a little bit of some examples of what's happening at one of the Valley Elementary Schools, kind of how that's grown and expanded to other schools. And then we want to really get into interactive dialogue and not just to sit and get. So if we're going to talk about authentic learning and, and talk about how do we maybe rethink the system, us just word vomiting at you for 45 minutes kind of goes against that grain. So we want this to be an interactive dialogue. So if you have questions or things that you want to learn about how to make this stuff work, what it looks like, things of that nature, um, we'll have myself from the AEA lens. We've got Chris from the admin lens. And then you're going to see, we've got some more, I'll, I'll stop sharing my screen in a little bit. We've also then have some experts on the Zoom call from all over. Uh, so we've got, I know there's more, but just on the screen here, we've got Amanda Clark, who is a, a, an educator. Some of you might recognize her, does some work with early childhood PBL and some work with PBL Works. Uh, there's Jeff Robin, who was a founder of High Tech High and taught art for 18 years and does a lot of amazing work out of San Diego. Beth Campbell was the media specialist that was part of this work that we did a year ago. And once I stop sharing my screen, I know there are others on the call uh, that I will make sure I acknowledge. So for those that are like, look about me, I promise I'll get to you here in just a second. So what we want to do is just start off with just this idea of what we're talking about with authentic learning. And there's a lot of definitions, but in our case, um, we, we're, we're focused on Future Ready Iowa and kind of that definition, and there are lots of definitions, definitions out there, one that better than the other. But I'm bringing this one out because this is the work that's happening across the state. And this is the stuff that you hear and learn about Future Ready, you're doing your portrait of a graduate, you're doing all the things with your state report card, where does this fit in? It fits in really well. And that definition, in the context of Future Ready Iowa, students need to see the connection to the work they're doing in the classroom, within the context of community and future post-secondary opportunities. So something that Beth Campbell, who's on the Zoom stuff all the time, we got to stop doing fake work. And so this is what we've been trying to do. And on this resource, we don't have enough time to go through all of it, but what I want to highlight is on that webpage, when you scan that QR code, we've got two projects that we have piloted, this is in a sixth grade classroom, and I'll, why I'll pass it over here to Chris here in just a second. This is one called Ingredients of Survival, how we infuse social studies, language arts, computer science, STEM, 
And how did we start to do systems thinking, teaching kids how to think using the standards? We're not going, you know, just scrapping all the necessity that we have to do, but how do we restructure our day to do some cool stuff? We were working with Explorer, Explorer of the Year, we worked with PBS, we worked with NASA, we worked with a variety of people to start to plant the seeds for kids to see themselves in new lights. So this link here, when you go that QR code, we documented every single day of the entire process. This one is we're doing it again right now, currently this year. Uh, there's roughly 25 schools from Iowa all the way to South Africa participating. So you can kind of see how it's unfolding. We're in the thick of it right now. So that website's, um, you know, it's a work in progress like all learning. And then the last one is Childhood Stolen by Hitler, where we worked with DC and Marvel to figure out how do we tell stories visually. We told the story of a Jewish woman who survived the Holocaust. And then, long story short, you click on the link and read the comic. Uh, life, unfortunately for her, history repeated itself with the war in Ukraine. Uh, she had lost her hometown, is her hometown. And so we told her story and got to work with her. So those are just some examples that we talk about this work if you want to see it in action while we're going. But I want to segue over here to uh, Chris, and then I'm also then going to change my screen because the sixth grade teacher who did this work is also on the call somewhere that we can't see. Um, so I'm going to get her queued up. In the meantime, let Chris talk a little bit about this work from an administration lens because that's an important uh, scope from there. The last thing is be thinking about questions because as soon as we're done sharing, interactive dialogue, not just with us, insights of these expert people, and then we can just address all the questions and ideas you have from all the people that are willing to sacrifice some time with their jobs and stuff to be here with us today, or with Jeff waking up early to uh, join us. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, so like Aaron said, I'm Chris Welch. I am the principal of Forest Grove Elementary. It's our newest elementary in Pleasant Valley. That's over in Bedore, Pleasant Valley, LeClaire, Riverdale. Um, those townships all make up Pleasant Valley. And uh, when it comes to authentic learning from an administrator lens, oftentimes you think of PBL and projects and all these other things. And you ask the question, where does, where, where do we get the standards? Where, where's the learning that needs to happen within this work? Um, and it's there. It's, it's embedded in the work that we do. It's in our design. So from the, the administrator look, um, we can pull out the standards. We can pull out the skills, the knowledge, the dispositions that we want from our students and, and that we need to have in sixth grade, in fifth grade, in third grade, in second grade. And we can be explicit about that. But I think that authentic learning in PBL um, and doing real learning, not fake learning, all comes down to student engagement. And that was one of the, the initial pieces that I was looking at and our leadership team was looking at is getting students involved, engaged, and owning the work that they're doing. Well, when learning becomes meaningful, when it becomes, hey, it has purpose, it has impact, and students can amplify their voices, make some decisions, solve some problems, ownership, goes through the roof. And when we have ownership and students who have agency over their learning, then the content and the skills that we want students to have, we can um, make those more powerful. Um, and we can grow them throughout the process. 
In addition to those pieces, some other items I hope you'll take with you today will be the the pieces of, of um, the universal constructs, sometimes the four seeds, sometimes there's, they're talking about the 21st century skills, where we're 22 years into the 21st century, and we're still talking about how to get these skills out and in and developed. Um, and that's, that's what we're doing. We're saying, here's a pathway, here's an avenue, here's an example. What can you do and how can we help? Um, and so that's creative, creative thinking, problem solving, communication. Uh, you all see a little bit of entrepreneurship, all in service of how do we give skill, skills, knowledge, and dispositions to our students so that regardless of what their future brings, which who knows what their future is going to bring, that they have those, those skills at their disposal to be leaders to be effective communicators, to be good teammates, to understand how to pull out a problem, identify the problem, and have the tools, techniques, and some processes to address those situations. I know that they have a voice and that they matter in this work, regardless of age. So from an administrator lens, from the standards to the universal constructs that we're looking for in our students, to critical thinking, the four Cs, um, the choice, the voice, the agency um, is all really powerful from the administrator um, standpoint. Also from the administrator standpoint is having the guardrails. And those guardrails are standards. They're making sure that we're just not doing the work around um, a wide open field, but that we have specific standards that we're expecting to see develop and grow um, over the course of these processes. So I, with that, we'll save some other, other insights uh, for the Q&A, but are we ready to maybe hear a little bit from the panel? Yeah, so let's do this. I want to do, because I didn't have full screen before, and now we can see all their, their marvelous faces. And so quick introduction, but Sarah, I know you get nervous, but I'm going to cue you up to share from the sixth grade classroom experience, because you live and breathe it all day trying to make this stuff work. So Sarah Vice is in the bottom right corner who has done the work on that QR code to see those projects. Uh, she's the one that, that's troubleshooting it, trying to figure it out, trying to manage all that good stuff. And with this, the caveat is we do none of this work alone. It requires leadership. It requires classroom teachers taking risks. It requires media specialists to, to partner up. And so all these things are great. So Sarah Vice is in the bottom right corner. I'm gonna have her share real quick, but the rest of the awesome people, uh, on our screen, to the left of her is this awesome gentleman with a sweet bow tie, and I had to wear a bow tie just to go along with my buddy here. But this is Stephen Smith. He's from NASA, so he can speak in terms of from the industry. And I don't know, maybe you've heard of NASA. Something kind of cool happened, you know, just the other day. So as we think about this learning, uh, we're living and breathing it right there. And then center stage, right in the middle, is uh, Aaron Starkey as well, also a uh, consultant, education world, all this good stuff. And so we have a lot of awesome narratives. And then to the right of her, that big hoss right there, that's Chad Udy, acting like he's not paying attention. I know he is. Uh, former colleague of mine, but now an elementary principal for Mark Twain and Bettendorf. So just lots of different flavors. If you're starting to think about questions, want to hear things, uh, we've got a lot of different voices. So let's do this, Sarah, I'm gonna have you share 
a little bit from, from your voice, and then let's move it into, I know a lot of you probably have some insights you want to share. We'll let you guys talk a little bit, and then we'll get into some Q&A that it might spark some further catalyst, and maybe answer some questions that they don't even know they should be asking or thinking. So, Sarah, I know you love it when I do this, but I'm putting you on the spot to talk a little bit from the classroom perspective. All right. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, I'm just going to probably uh, reiterate what you've said and what Mr. Welch has already said. So I think this work is, is so valuable and so important for our kids. And it really does start with, with the leadership in your system and in, within your building. And um, that has to be the supportive piece first. Um, and, like, and like Chris said, we start this work with our guardrails, which would be our standards and, and our content that, that our system is asking all of us to do. And then our job is really to build um, an experience within that, within those guardrails that um, we know kids will be engaged with and they'll wrestle with and they'll in, um, interact with for, for a series of, or I guess for weeks, it could be. Um, and I also think that one of the things that we value about this work uh, just as much as the academic side is, is the human work that's involved with this. And uh, Stephen will talk maybe later, maybe not, but we talk about the, the failure, failure as a gift and all of the, the um, human experiences that we go through throughout this work is, is so, so, so important. Um, we're able to add value to ideas. We balance out in conversations. We're able to advocate and generate new ideas, um, to think critically and independently and, um, and discover the interrelationships and interconnectedness between ideas. And so when we think about all of those other pieces that, that are, are so important, um, universal construct why and, and otherwise, um, that's really, really the powerful piece in this work. We, we often talk about process over product and, and I truly believe that's what makes this work magic for our kids. Awesome job, Sarah. You did great. Yeah, thanks. Last and chalk it down. So I know I don't know the rest of you on the panel here. I, I want to make sure your voices are heard. Is there anything that come to mind that you guys want to share as we start to move into to questions? But as you guys have listened here a little bit from Chris, myself, and Sarah, Beth, Amanda, Aaron, Jeff, Steve, Chad, and you guys have anything that you want to throw in as as, as you've heard so far. I know that I, <laughs> I never miss an opportunity to blab about stuff. Um, so uh, I think the the eight most dreaded words and oh, and I should back up a little bit. I do in fact work for NASA now. I'm here in uh, at Houston, Texas. I work at the Johnson Space Center. Uh, you may or may not know that we just launched a rocket to the moon for the first time since 1972. Um, we're getting images back now as it's uh, looking back at us and and. So many cool things coming, which are, are going to open up opportunities for your students to participate in real-world science that's being done on the world stage with NASA and our partners at NOAA, National Science Foundation, and all these other things. Uh, and these are not just analog things, but actual opportunities for your students to, to work directly with us. Um, so uh, before that, though, I was in the classroom for 20 years, and I taught in schools that no one else wanted to teach in, and within those schools, I taught the students that no one else wanted to teach, and found great success doing that, and uh, really moved the needle for a lot of those students. But So I'll say, as a teacher, uh, one of the, the eight most dreaded words that we ever hear are, when am I ever going to use this? Well, if you are teaching your students a standard, a skill, or whatever, 
literally while they're using it, then you don't get that response. All of a sudden, the why becomes apparent because they are they are genuinely physically in, in implementing the skills and standards that you're talking about while they're learning it. Um, and then um, my friend uh, mentioned failure. So one of the most important things that you can teach your students, in addition to the critical thinking piece and all of that stuff that we'll talk a lot about, I'm sure, is failure. Failure is a vital lesson that so many of us don't learn well. Uh, here at NASA, the, going back to the rocket we just launched, that was our fourth attempt to launch this stupid thing. So the first time we tried to launch it, uh, we didn't get the engine cooled down like we were supposed to, but luckily we got calls from our, uh, from friends across the world letting us know that our warranty was about to expire on the engine. And I'm lying, that's not a real thing, I made that up. Um, then the second launch attempt, we had a hydrogen leak. And as I get older, I find that, you know, we just have hydrogen leaks and hopefully nobody hears them and we go on about our day. Um, and then we had a hurricane that came through and then another hurricane that came through and the world around us. And I'm getting emails and, and comments and stuff like, oh, you know, I don't even want to watch this one. It's probably not going to go off. It's just going to fail again and blah, blah, blah. It's because as a society, we don't understand the importance of that because this is a brand new vehicle on a brand new uh, stand that's going to do brand new things, of course we're going to fail. Of course things are going to go wrong. If you're only doing things that you can do absolutely perfectly the first time, who cares? That means that anybody could do that and it's not impressive and no one's ever going to remember it. And working with the students in your area to a person, every single one of those teams, when they were sharing at the end of the process, every single one of them talked about the most profound thing they got out of that was learning how to fail was when we sent them back to the drawing board and they had to come back up with something and they came back up with something better. And they learned so much from that one piece of it in every single group. I, there was not one of them that didn't mention it. So um, having them actually do a thing, do something authentic allows them to fail and allows them to fail in a way that you can kind of control and work them through and help push them farther. Um, so um, that's the, the, next, the, the next piece and the last thing I'll say, I promise, I, I'm sorry, I don't wanna bogart all this, but, um, uh, but you knew me before you asked me to do this, so I, you can't complain too much. Um, <laughs> so, um, is, is to really push your students deeper, to really push them to go farther than they thought they could. Uh, a lot of those groups that I, I talked to the last couple of days, came to me with this idea that was okay, but as I pushed, 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 they, they, they would say like, well, well, I kind of thought maybe about this, and that was a that second piece that they were afraid to bring up that they were kind of holding in reserve was brilliant. But they did this easy piece, this thing that, that thought, you know, for sure they would be able to do, and they, they were afraid to even say that second part, and now they're doing the one that they were, anyway, you get what I'm saying. So I'll back off now and I'll, I'll just be ready for questions. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I never apologize. So let, let me jump in here. I want to give the room a little bit of context. So we're, we're hearing from NASA, right? And, and what are our kids doing with NASA? And how did we, how did we get there? So uh, the, the project really started, the systems of survival started with a study of ancient Egypt. But we're talking about the moon. 
which seems disconnected, but it's that through line through the teacher's design that was so important. And what was that? Well, you're looking at civilizations. And as they're looking at civilizations, well, that was a historical look at a civilization and survival. And what happened as much as we know uh, with the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian civilization. And, and uh, then we looked at, well, what is survival of a civilization? What does survival look like in present day? And so our sixth graders started, started to study the book All 13, which is also a district uh, uh, collection that we have of classroom books. So they, they started looking at All 13. If you're not familiar with All 13, it is about the soccer boys that were trapped in the cave and the waters rising. Right. So you have to bring in people, you have to collaborate, you have to problem solve. There's new problems that come up. They have to, if things fail, they have to go back and reinvent and bring in experts and connect with others. So now we're starting to study the system. Then we look at what does survival look like in the future? That's NASA. That's the Artemis project. That's what, are the, what happens when there's a lunar base? What are the things we need to account for? How can some of our students start to think, work through, and apply their systems to this new set of problems? And how can we connect with experts across the area, across the world, to help give our students some real feedback and work on real problems that NASA is working on? So that's the, the quick through line for systems of survival. Yeah, and with that, too, thinking about with NASA, it's the future, but for our students, when these sixth graders graduate, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be able to look up, and I learned this from Steven, so I'm going to sound smart, but I, I'm stealing his line. We're going to be able to look up at the moon and see lights and infrastructure, because we're not going to be thinking about a global society. We're going to start eventually thinking, maybe in, this, in these kids' lifetime, a space society. It's like my all my sci-fi, comic book, nerd, movie, everything is coming true. And I hope I can live to be 100 to experience it. So while we're projecting in the future, we're also preparing for, like, this is their, this, this is what they're going to be living in. But how do we look at the skill sets, the mindsets, disposition of what it took to survive in ancient Egypt, what it took to survive in that cave when there was an emergency in present time. So uh, I want to make sure we make space for room, too, because I know I can see Jeff is chomping at the bit with his all his facial expressions, but Amanda, you and Aaron, I see you guys also nodding your head, and so I know you've got some stuff. And Beth, I'm not forgetting about you. You know, I know you've got some things to chime in as well. So I'm going to look at through the V pattern. Amanda, Aaron, or Jeff, anything that you want to add to this, um, and then while you guys are talking too, if any of you guys have questions, let me know, and we'll get you the mic so we can interact with some dialogue. I guess so. I'll go. Uh, when, it, when I hear about the standards and people being concerned, am I meeting the standards and how will we know it, it'll be interesting and the kids will learn their skills and they'll learn the content that we need them to know. And, and my whole thing with education, now that I've been retired for five years, I've, I've really kind of solidified what I learned and it's do the project yourself first. If the teacher does the project themselves first, they know if what skills you're going to use, you know how authentic it's going to be, you know where the pitfalls are going to be, and you're going to know how to get past the pitfalls. And one of my things, failure is amazing. And it's great when you then figure out how you failed and make it better and not fail. And if the teacher can do that ahead of time, they'll be in a better position to help their students. Now, their students are going to get into 
things as I found into things that I had never even thought of. But I, because I had done the project myself first, because I had walked in the position of the students, I was able to figure these things out. And, and, and we knew what standards they were gonna cover. And then frankly, they surpassed all the standards that, that we thought we had. Um, and this was all at High Tech High because we had this, uh, at the end of every semester, we would have exhibition nights and the custodians would order a giant dumpster to come at the end of every, every semester. And I'm like, what's the dumpster for? And they're like, oh, it's for the projects. And I'm like, wow, there's literally dumpster projects. We spend thousands of dollars a semester, all this kid's time and effort. And then the, it's so cynical that they, the custodians, I mean, they weren't being cynical. They were being, you know, they were saving money and trips to the dump, but people were throwing away the stuff they worked on. And I think there's no other illustration of how that those projects didn't meet the standards, that they weren't authentic education because they threw them away right after afterwards. And so doing the project yourself first lets you know, is, is this going to work out? And I've done it tons of times. And there's lots of projects that I came up with that we never did because I did the project myself first and thought, this is terrible. This is like, I can't do this. I'm not having fun. And remember, like, I have, well, I have this theory that you only remember when you're having fun. You, you, you only remember when learning is is fun and exciting. You don't, you remember things that were difficult, but you don't remember the specific things. And you certainly don't remember when you're having a bad time. So uh, that that is so critical to um, to this. And it's the teacher needs to do, do the project. They need to be the expert in the project. That's my shtick. Well, I would add on to Sarah's suggestion that the work does require strong leadership. And once we have the leadership structures in place to really uh, offer support for teachers, and sometimes that comes with the training that it takes to facilitate versus being that sage on the stage kind of teaching, which is maybe how all of you in that room and most of us on the screen went to school, uh, somebody telling us what to think and how to think. And we really want our 21st century learners to think for themselves and how to problem solve. So offering teachers support uh, through professional development, great contexts like those that we see on the screen, uh, the resources and tools. And then I would just add um, from your perspective there in that school board seat is offering the space for teachers to create and to be creative and to be curious, like Jeff's saying, is to let them try it out. And if we lose sight of the goal, which is teaching kids, and we're only there to teach the curriculum or to meet the standards, um, it is easy to turn the page in the textbook. It's not easy to design and facilitate a project. And teachers need the love and support from all of you, as well as the grace to try it. And I'm so thrilled that we're trying this in Iowa. Um, keeping that in mind, it doesn't just happen in the big cities and all over the world, people are investigating through projects. I see lots of little people coming on the screen who have things to say. Let's hear from them. Seeing the meerkats have emerged again. We gotta have this joke that like our cameras are set up and half the kids have to like get up on their tiptoes. They meet with experts that kind of look like little meerkats popping up there, but awesome. Aaron, did you want to add anything on to that? 
just the project-based learning is where I found the joy in the work I was doing as an educator. This ignited my passion. It taught me how to connect all of the dots between the millions of initiatives that are coming down the pike. And I felt like I couldn't keep up and reach all learners and do all of the things. And then project-based learning came on the scene and it was a light bulb for me. And so suddenly I was passionate. My students were passionate. Parents knew what was going on. The community knew what was happening. They knew things could be different. And so PBL for me was a game changer because I found joy. And I've seen it in kids as young as four all the way to 18. And there is just nothing like it. So it's so exciting to hear all of these different experiences and to be able to be a part of connecting those dots to find joy in the work. Yeah, I appreciate the insights. And then as you guys on that QR code to the resources, you'll see the work. I know uh, Amanda and Aaron have a long history of stuff, but they've got materials on how to do this with, with young kids, early, early kids. So it doesn't always have to be older kids. Um, Jeff Robbins got, well, he's got a ton of stuff, amazing videos, his own website. Um, he also has a book that he worked with another woman named Jean Kluver. It's also linked on that QR code. You can access the book for free online that has all the projects from High Tech High for 20 plus years to see examples of what this work looks like by subject, by grade, by discipline, to kind of get a sense for that. And so just as you're looking at those resources, I just want to make sure that you can dive in more and see some of those examples. Um, and I just want to make sure we leave some space. So Beth, so I think you have an interesting perspective too for school boards to think about because sometimes it's a voice that, that does get lost. And across the nation, we're, we're seeing less and less and less teacher librarians. And it's such an urgent job that's needed to really build a community in the schools. And so you played a huge vital role in that. So from your angle, when you were operating like 20 million things in the library, like what, what are some two cents for these people to consider on thinking about not just having a few standards, well, and that's what's so beautiful. You see right now this team of people and this, this team of people come together and help each other solve problems. And that's what happens in a school. So your isolated classroom, your isolated library where people only go to like check out a book, those days are gone. And so PBL and Project Base and all of this brings forth uh, even more of a greater opportunity to, to team to work together because together we're better. And so um, I'm gonna advocate that, that your school libraries are a place that are alive and vibrant. You have multiple classes in there at one time, you're co-planning, co-teaching all the time. Um, so it's far more than just, like I said, a, a checkout station, um, it's 2023. And so just the opportunity to richly team with one another and draw on each other's strengths and help each other in that collaborative co-teaching process is vital to this because you it's you could do it alone, but I would think it'd be really, 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 really hard. And so one other point I do want to make, Aaron, is that sometimes, you know, in education, we always want the research and, and there is incredible current research happening right now. Um, USC is doing some powerful research. Um, they're using MRIs to actually chart what's happening in the brain when this type of work and these type of opportunities are presented to students. Um, it matters to them and their brains actually grow and develop because we're giving them these rich cognitive experiences that totally impact their head and their hearts and change them as humans. 
So I just want to underscore this is research-based. I love it. Good point to put in there. Chad, we haven't had your voice in there. And so I know we've had stuff both as a classroom teacher when you had 40 aquariums or whatever in your room, to you and I as serving as a structural coach where we co-tie. And now you're looking at it from an elementary building perspective as an admin, just, just like Chris here. So anything else you want to add after this, then any questions that you guys have, we're going to open it up to, to Q&A for that. So anything else you want to add there, Chad? Yeah, I I think one of the uh, biggest things that, you know, go, this goes back to my days in college, like nine, 1994, uh, when I was able to, um, I had a professor that challenged my class to uh, take a risk and go do something in research that you've never done before, you don't know anything about. And, you know, I was able to challenge myself in, in that situation. And then, you know, fast forward to when we started doing uh, PBL and authentic learning at uh, middle school. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I, I heard Jeff Robbins talk about was that doing the project. That is one of the things I know we we implemented at middle school, and um, it just it it really refreshed my uh, profession as a teacher when I was able to do this because I was at a point where I was kind of I was in a stagnant role of of you know kind of doing the same thing over and um, kind of seeing the same results. And you know, in, in in the real world, we call that insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over. And you get the same results. So um, once we started doing that, and I paired that taking risks, you know, I'm um, Aaron knows me well that if he throws something my way, I usually say yes. Let's try it. Let's see what we can do. Um, and one of the the biggest things is you, there were some kiddos that we had in class that I wasn't their teacher, but I still have connections with them today because it gave them a different view of the textbook and the papers that you have to write, it gave them a different view on where they could go um, and kind of gave them their why of what they were what they were going to school for. And, um, you know, a couple of kids that I think of it, you know, I, I'm not really sure where they would have gone without authentic learning. It gave them that why. So, um, you know, all of this is, you know, the, taking risks, like sometimes we're, we're, we fail. And I think in our in our society today that we think about failure is, is we need to learn how to fail and and take those learning um, take that learning and and be better. Uh, so there's a lot of little different things that I've learned along the way with authentic learning that are really you know taking me to where I'm at today. Um, I'll try things, not always successful, but I know that if I go back to the drawing board, I can I can uh, make it better. You know for for the students involved, for the teachers involved, and and uh, and I love supporting those teachers that are willing to do that. Questions from all of you as you're processing all these perspectives and insights. And I know it's probably feel like you're drinking from the fire hose and the resources. There's a million resources to click on. We're doing all in 45 minutes. But what are some wonderings? Oh, yeah, we got it right back here. Thoughts? Go ahead. If you can say it into the mic, that way they can hear it. Uh, that'd be great. Sure. This is a pretty general question, but uh, I love the idea of authentic and project based learning. But the thing that I always struggle with my mind is how do you measure quantify success you know, the old school way and i'm an engineer so i i like physics and math that's very easy there's the right answer there's a wrong answer you got it right you're right you got it wrong it's wrong uh, but obviously that this is quite as easy as other fields so maybe just speak to what is the measure of success 
creating one of my systems. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I am an artist, but I, I work most of my career working with physics teachers and math teachers and biology. And, and they would come to me with this same kind of question, like, how do we quantify it? And, and, and I said, well, by looking at student work, by looking and talking to the students about the work that they've done, about they can present it, they can show it, but you know, I'm a visual artist, so they would always be, that would always be a part of it. But at this idea of, can the students participate and, and explain what they've learned? And when you can explain it, it's like, I know physicists always say a great physicist can make the most complex things sound simple. And a physicist that maybe doesn't know confuses everybody. So can your students get up there and get up on the stage, get up in their presentations or just in, in an exhibition, explain to you what they were doing, what they were thinking and, the, and their synthesis of the information that they were taught. So is there an easy number to look at? No, but you know, it, school isn't there for us to have an easy job. It's for the kids to learn. And it's, as I've taught for 27 years, it's not easy, any other job, besides teaching is easy. Um, so yeah, it, the, the idea that um, there won't be a clean number, but the idea that you can go and, and talk to your students and see what they've learned and have them explain it, there might be a new way to collect that kind of information, that kind of data. I, I would just you know make a book and show the work my students did and say, Allah, you know. I can add to that as well. Part of my reality was we had to have nine grades in the grade book for non-core subjects and 18 in core subjects. And I wasn't exempt from that as a PBL, as one who implemented PBL. And so it's really nuanced and it required a lot of intentional integration and looking at my plans and beginning with the end in mind. So here's where UBD comes in. I'm looking at what I want them to do summatively and how can I plant those formative flags along the way to help me measure their progress, pull my groups, shake them up as I need to because I'm aware of what each student knows and needs. PBL allowed me to do that. Whereas rote teaching, it was a mass of students that I have to figure out individually what they all know. And it comes so naturally in PBL because you're constantly talking and moving and I would add to that rubrics make a huge difference if they're based off the standards and not a glorified checklist of, I want this pretty of a slide and I want this many things said, no, no, no. What standards are they meeting with this work? And now I can dissect that with students. I can co-create it with students. We can talk about it and have that rich interaction and experience and that I can quantify. Right? So just really thinking about the systems we already have in place and why they're there and how we're using them with intention can make all the difference as we look at quantifying the experience for learners. Um, I'll jump in kind of from the non-classroom side maybe a little bit, um, but also go back to that as well. Uh, if you look, the national standards tend to be more performance-based standards. What can the students do? Um, and that helps a lot because we're not just you know, did they answer this question or that question, but what can they show you that they can do? Uh, performance standards, um, the, the, the national standards are based on that and most state standards are actually based around that as well. Um, so then you, you end up with more uh, 
did they meet the standard? Did, did they exceed the standard? Do they still have work to do? And you could quantify that if you needed to and, and put a number in there. Um, but I would also challenge the paradigm. Uh, from the outside looking in, I'm going to challenge the idea of we have to have a numerical value for everything because that's not how life actually works. And what are we trying to prepare the kids for? We, we're putting we are preparing students for a world that does not yet exist. We're preparing them for a world that they will be creating that does not exist. So if we just use the framework and the paradigm that we use to train them to be factory workers where they needed to produce X number of widgets per whatever, we're not helping our students. So it goes back to what um, I think Jeff said at the, at the beginning, which was, are we here for our students or are we here for ourselves? So if we're just trying to fit them into a framework, if we're trying to fit them into a mold and they either meet that mold or they don't, then why are we doing this? Why are we going through all of this nonsense of being teachers and dealing with behavior and doing all these things if that's all we're trying to do because the outcome is not gonna be what we're looking for. So as, as school board people, you have the opportunity to change the paradigm. We are not in the industrial age anymore. That time is gone. We are now in the digital age. We're in this, the actual space age, not the 1960s, maybe someday, but we have actual private companies that are sending people to space right now. Um, that's going to get better. That's going to get more. Your students are going to have the opportunity to make a genuine decision about whether they go to Disney in California, Florida, or space. These are real things that are going to happen. Your students are going to be entrepreneurs in business that exist outside of our planet. So how are we going to prepare them for that? Is it going to be the 90s and A, 80s and B, fit them into that thing? No, it's not. So we either need to decide that we're going to prepare our students or stop pretending that we're trying. Sorry, a little soapbox. I apologize. <laughs> Let, let me take that one for a your point of view. So we're, we're standards-based. We have standards-based report cards, and we have um, everything aligned by standards over trimester and multi, in every category you can, you can think of, Iowa standards through and through. I will tell you, and I, I probably should have a slide up here or uh, something to that effect, but our most powerful conversations at our PLC where I sit down with my instructional coach and, and our teachers and we look at student learning is that conversation around how do you know, right? How, how, where do you see the learning? Where is it visible? Where are the examples? Where are the exemplars? Let's pick it apart. And, and we realize some areas might be stronger, some might, some can, students might need some additional support. Um, but we end up in multiple grade levels in our building with not just around information for how they're doing on each individual standard, but also in the thinking progression that students have to engage in leading up to attainment and moving further within a standard. So that whole idea of going before and doing the project, um, we also have an ask around, think through the cognition and the levels of cognitive complexity that students will engage in as they move through the experience. And when we articulate that out, then we're also creating the look for how we're impacting 
student thinking and doing along the way. So content can be exchanged, but the, the traveling complexity remains the same. And every other week or every third week, we're sitting down, we're reviewing all of our goals, all of our cognitive complexity, all of our standards for every single student in every single grade level. That's a whole lot of data. And it allows us to adjust our instruction, but I want to exchange instruction for facilitation. And we adjust our facilitation in these processes to support students because it isn't about an A, B, or C for us. It's about your learning. And that's the non-negotiable. So we want to wrap it up. I think we've got the got the got the one minute warning sign. So I first want to thank this panel who Carbon time out of their day to come join us on Zoom, um, just because they are passionate about this work. They're passionate and they understand uh, the levers that you guys can pull on the school boards to help move this work. So I want to thank all of you. Uh, makes my heart happy to see all your faces and for you to take time to lend your voice. I, I truly mean that. And for all of you for joining on that resource, everything is there. There's so much there. Their contact information, all the materials. The whole goal of this is to create a catalyst and spark. And so please reach out with any questions you have to any of us that talked. There's lots of videos with other people who couldn't do live from Stanford and everywhere else. So check all that out. Um, if there's anything we can do to help move the conversation and narrative forward for you, uh, reach out to any of us. And uh, we hope you have a good rest of the day. Panel, thank you so much for joining. We really do appreciate it. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.